We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chaneo Gwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rotoviz College Football Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Stefan LeCoe, joined by my co-host, Matt Wispay. This podcast is being brought to you by Blue Wire, Indeed, and Bet Online. We have a lot to get into today. I am super excited. We've got our news and notes. We've got some Pac-12 previewing to do. We're going to look back at where we hit and where we missed last week. And then, of course, we're going to finish the show off with our Week 10 preview and picks. But before we jump any further... How are you doing on this uh, rather roller coaster type week that we are experiencing in the uh, United States of America? I'm better today. It's yeah for for transparency to everyone. We typically record on on Wednesdays. Um, we pushed it to uh, Thursday based on schedule, but it's good because yesterday I was a zombie. So I am <laughs> yeah. I am much more uh, energized today, and uh, yeah, in That's a little good. bit better spirits. Yeah, yeah, and we don't have to go off on a on a on a tangent on anything. I'm just gonna say that, uh, like you, I have a, I have had more sleep since uh, the earlier parts of the week, so that's good. So yeah, like you, I'm feeling a little bit more awake, a little bit more ready to talk about college football. We've got a big slate today uh, to get through because we've got that Pac-12 uh, coming back. Before we jump into that, though, a couple of news items. The only really big things to talk about are, are the canceled or postponed games. Um, from my perspective, anyway, if you have some other stuff you want to shoot out there, please let me know, Matt. But we've got Purdue at Wisconsin canceled. So now that's two games for Wisconsin 
uh, off the docket. So their their season is getting shorter and shorter. Uh, we have Tulsa at Navy postponed and FIU at UTEP postponed, which I know uh, that last that one, one bums you out. That one just hurts my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I want to bet UTEP unders. Their offense is so bad. Yeah, you might get to do it once this year. <laughs> I, got, I think I did, and I think it hit, and I was really happy. Yeah. Uh, what do you think this means for Wisconsin moving forward? Uh, another game canceled. Well, it'll be interesting to see because so they they canceled a game. The I mean, this week they canceled a game with Purdue, who is, I think, 2-0. and It'll just be interesting to see if like Purdue goes the rest of their season now and wins out in their, say, 7-0 and against a Wisconsin team that could very likely be six and zero. does i mean does the big 10 just go with the easy answer and say up oh, six and over seven and oh we're taking the seven and oh team um i i i'm just kind of curious to see how they the big 10 decision makers really let this play out particularly considering that i mean wisconsin last week did not meet the thresholds that would have required them to cancel so the big 10 has specific like positivity rates and um requirements that you have to have in order to play and then what is immediately going to cause a program shutdown and last week's game wasn't them over the threshold so they made a voluntary choice because i mean they were on their fourth string quarterback and didn't Mm -hmm. have a head coach and they made the decision hey we're gonna get killed in this game if we go out and play it uh let's not play it um and i i that's me being cynical in why i think they didn't play but i just wonder now like what is the Big Ten going to do? Are they going to just let teams make this decision to cancel whenever they want? If that's the case, I mean, there has to be repercussions. I, I think I've seen things along the lines of you have to have at least six games to qualify for the Big Ten championship, but I don't know if that's official. I I think that it should be. I mean, I don't think you should have a team that misses potentially three games in this scenario. Not, I mean playing for the big 10 championship. So right, I don't know. I, right. I, with, I mean, I'm, I don't want to hate on Wisconsin. I think truthfully, they're probably doing exactly what they should do. They probably shouldn't worry about preparing for a football game right now and should worry about containing what appears to be fairly widespread um, infection within their, um, within their locker room. And they should manage that first before you even think about football. So I don't know. We'll see. I also think have heard, I mean, there's there's definitely whispers right now that the Big Ten is reconsidering the 21 day period, and I think a lot of that is going to go to Barry Alvarez, the Wisconsin AD, just has a lot of pull within the Big Ten, and um, I don't know. We'll just see what happens. I I hope it. I hope we don't see a lot of this. I know that COVID also took out Illinois' starting quarterback Brandon Peters, so I don't know. It's it's a weird season, and it sucks, yeah, it and yeah cancellations aren't fun um please utep play some football i want to see it yeah not see it bet <laughs> against it exactly you don't want to watch those you just want to make no, a little no, no. bit of cash on them yeah i've heard that some of the pac-12 games uh, i know the washington game is one that people are looking at that could possibly get postponed um to when <laughs> you have six weeks. I, well not postponed sorry canceled. canceled yeah you're right wrong wrong terminology i realized last week i i used the word postponed instead of canceled on a few of them and um and that's definitely not the case because some of these games will just be canceled um and even the ones that are postponed i don't know if all of them are going to take place anyway but uh before we get into uh talking about uh last week let's let's look a little bit at the pac-12 we are 
blessed to have the Pac-12 coming back into our television screens, our, our living rooms, and most importantly, into our hearts. What do you think of the Pac-12 North? I'll just go down the, uh, the, the teams for everyone here. We've got Cal, Stanford, Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, and Washington State in the North. Uh, how do you think that shakes out? And, and what do you think could be um, realistic outcomes for some of these teams? I mean, I can't sit here and say a, a ton about this. I know Washington State and Oregon State are your presumptive bottom feeders. Uh, Stanford, you always assume they've got good head coaching, that they're going to be fine. Um, I just, I, I, I don't believe enough. Even though Cal has shown improvements over recent years and it doesn't appear to be a bottom feeder, I don't really expect them to truly compete. So I think this is a two-team race in the North. I think it sort of comes down to how good is Washington? Do they have the talent to keep up with an Oregon team that is pretty clearly the most talented team in the Pac-12 North? Gun to my head, um, I'm picking Oregon to win it. Um largely because I just think they're the most talented team. Although I will say first year, or I mean, first year starting quarterback and an offensive line that lost its best player. There's at least reason to be concerned. Um, but who knows? I I think we'll get a, a, some answers about them this week. And I mean, maybe they'll already bench their terrible quarterback. <laughs> uh, you know, um, I obviously am a huge Oregon fan. I think they're the, uh, I think they're the best team in the North. I think Washington is like right there on their heels though. Um, and then for me, it goes Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and then Washington State. I think you could flip the last two. I think they're both in a tier all by themselves on the bottom. Uh, I think the big questions here is Oregon, like you said, uh, not only did we lose Panay Sewell to opt out, but we lost quite a few offensive linemen to the NFL. So we've got a completely new group there. And then, as you mentioned, Tyler Shuck is taking over at quarterback for uh, Justin Herbert. So a lot of lot of new faces there. We will see, you know, CJ Verdell and Micah Pittman and and Johnny Johnson on the uh, for the receivers and a lot of the offenses there. Our, our defense, the Ducks defense, is still really really good. We they did lose a few. I keep saying we. I shouldn't. Uh, quite a few opt outs in the secondary, but they brought in a couple of players through grad transfers uh, and, and the like. And uh, Lenoir Lenoir uh, is coming back after originally opting out. So uh, the defense will be solid. I think Oregon is uh, a year away from really being elite. So I don't really see them going undefeated. I think they're going to trip up. But of course, I also think that uh, that might not be against Washington. And uh, it's possible that Washington has a difficult, a more difficult year than maybe they would like. Um, you know, maybe they don't win every game except that Oregon game. Maybe they, they lose to Cal or something like that too. Washington, of course, is bringing in a new quarterback in, in Jacob Sermon, someone that we're going to be interested to see how how he can do. But they've got a great defense. I'm excited to see what Jimmy Lake does there, uh, taking over the head coaching jobs, getting promoted from within, being the defensive coordinator there. And that's really been a hallmark of that that Huskies team. So I think they're going to be really, really solid. But um, if again, you know, if I had to make a bet on whether or not I think one of these teams uh, from the Pac-12 is going to make the playoff. I mean, right now, I would guess no. I mean, just the amount of craziness that we've seen in like the Big Ten and, and the SEC, like starting late, weird years, uh, upsets every week. It's hard to imagine any of these teams go undefeated. Uh, and I can't imagine a scenario where a Pac-12 team, you know, gets in with a loss unless something crazy happens everywhere else. Let's jump over to the South. We've got Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, UCLA, Utah, and USC. 
Um, again, what are your thoughts on on the on the Pac-12 South? What do you see here? And then after that, we can jump into some of the different players we like in the Pac-12. So, I mean, I think it. I think it's USC's conference. I mean, division to lose. They're very clearly the most talented team. They rank, I believe, in the top. I'm quickly going to pull up the 247 talent composite. Uh, they rank inside the top 10 on the team talent composite for uh, 247. Uh, they they definitely are the most talented bunch, but Arizona State's been one of those teams over the last couple of years that has overperformed. The big one that I think is going to surprise some people is I actually think Utah is going to struggle a lot. I wouldn't be surprised if they go three and three this year, just because. I mean, they lost losing they, so much. Yeah, I mean, essentially they lost their offense. Like their entire offense is gone. Um, so they're going to be relying on a lot of new people. And the thing that about them last year that was so valuable was that they were an incredibly experienced and that was kind of where they held an advantage over everyone else now with an arizona state team that's a little bit more experienced usc team that's a little bit more experienced i do think that they're gonna it's gonna kind of come down to those two and it's how crazy is it that i mean the pac-12 did no scheduling favors to themselves if they want a pac-12 south team to somehow squeak their way into a playoff because they really did put the most important game of the Pac-12 South schedule the first week, and they put it on at a stupid kickoff time. A brunch, so, a br- a brunch kickoff. <laughs> hey, I'm all I'm all about it. Um, you'll hear about why later. But uh, I mean, for me, I think it's I think it's a two team race. I think honestly, I think any of the four teams that aren't Arizona State and USC, you can put in any order you want. If I'm going to do it right now, I'll go USC, Arizona State, UCLA, Arizona, Utah, and then Colorado. Mm, well, yeah. haven't really thought about the schedules, haven't really done a deep dive into it uh, to figure out if that's even really feasible, but whatever. When have I been the type of person that looks at things closely? I'm going Trojans here, and I think we're going to get a Trojans and Ducks uh, Pac-12 championship, and the winner makes the playoff. Wow. So you do you you think one of them gets through undefeated? Honestly, I just I, I the the issue I have with it right now is that the only thing standing in their way is a two loss Oklahoma team, which uh, you and uh, you, me and Jordan, uh, our former co-host, have had conversations about how I think this goes. Um, it's those two teams going under one of them goes undefeated. A two loss Oklahoma team somehow makes it because they go scorched earth on the rest of their schedule or Texas A&M manages to squeak by the rest of the season with just the one loss to Alabama, mm. and they don't have to play Alabama again, which unlike um, either Florida or Georgia, who will be facing their second loss, will have to play Alabama again, and they aren't beating Alabama. So it's it's kind of a... The, right, the, the second best, or I shouldn't say, the best team in the Pac-12 and what would have been the second, like had... Penn State gone eight and one, I thought they would have been a playoff team. So it's just one of those things where I think if a team gets through the Pac-12 and I think one of these two teams will get through the Pac-12 undefeated, it's going to be difficult to leave them out because there's just, I mean, we talk about it every week. There's three great teams and then there's a bunch of garbage. So yeah, I don't think that the Pac-12 is garbage. I just wasn't including them yet. No, no, no. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah, we'll have to see. I mean, it's too early to project. I just don't see, I don't see any of these teams. And I, again, huge Oregon fan. I don't see any teams in the Pac-12 going undefeated. I just think, I don't think any of them have the, the, the neck up in in the talent department enough 
uh, to make up for all the wonkiness that is college football in the year 2020. I, I like USC and Arizona State uh, the most in this. And then I do have UT- Utah above UCLA, Arizona, and then Colorado. I do agree with you that Utah could have a really rough year, but I'm going to co- I'm gonna trust the coach. Uh, Whittingham's put together like winning programs. Uh, they've, you know, they're losing a lot of players because, you know, graduation NFL stuff, but they have been able to put together solid defenses. And I think defense plays in the PAC 12 is, is kind of funny as that is to say, but I mean, that's even how Oregon has been able to, to make the separation that they've done uh, recently is, is, you know, offensive line and defense. So I do think it plays, uh, but yeah, Arizona state USC, <laughs> we're going to learn a lot uh, by noon, <laughs> you know, well, the game will be done. And, uh, it's just crazy that they're playing that game so early, but I'm excited for, for both these teams. Arizona state to me looks uh, like a real, real exciting team. I mean, we both like Jaden Daniel. I think Frank Darby's a really good wide receiver. I'm curious what they're going to do replacing Eno Benjamin. Um, but he wasn't, you know, ex- like good. uber successful last year. He had a, he had a, a down year last year. So, I mean, it's not like they have um, to replace this uber productive player. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And then USC, like, I mean, they have been underperforming. We were making fun of their uh, recruiting last year, brought in a pretty rough class. I think it was like in the 70s or 80s or something like that, like very unprecedented. But they do have a lot of of pretty good talent from their upperclassmen. You and I have been talking about Amon Ross St. Brown a lot. And of course, uh, there's Bonds, Keaton Slovis. Like their offense is going to be able to click, I think. So they'll be fun to watch at the very least. Uh, Speaking of some of those players though, Matt, uh, let's go through some of the quarterbacks in the PAC 12 and, and just give me kind of your thoughts, you know, whether it's, or maybe both do uh, a Debbie perspective as well as just uh, for, sure. for what to watch or what to look for um, just like as we're watching football games. So uh, some of the big names that I and you uh, wrote down for the uh, quarterbacks to watch, of course, is Keaton Slovis, Jaden Daniels, Tyler show and Jake sermon. Um, there's others as well. Uh, but those are kind of the, the big ones that stood out to me. What, what do you think of these guys? Who do you like the most? And uh, which of these guys do you think is relevant for, for Debbie? I think there are two that are relevant for Debbie. And I know you're going to get mad at me because I'm not saying three. Um, so it's Jaden Daniels and it's Keaton Slovis. Personal preference, I prefer Jaden Daniels to Keaton Slovis. I think oh, wow. the, the air raid offense and his not as impressive mobility makes me a little bit more hesitant with Keaton Slovis than most people. I think the fact that he wasn't a high pedigree guy, but went to USC. It, it's one of those things. I just, I don't know what to believe. The fact that USC offered him um, sh- kind of adds a little bit to his pedigree, but at the same time, we're talking about a guy who was a, I mean, realistically, who's a mid-level three-star guy. And then they plugged him into a Graham Harrell offense that, I mean, turned him into a star very quickly. And I just wonder how much of that is him, how much of it is scheme. I I think he's really good. I think he's probably, by most people's boards, the QB2 um, in the class of 2022 behind Sam Howell. But for me, he's probably probably four for me behind Rattler and Daniels as well. And the reason I like Daniels is, I mean... I've talked about it before. He's one of my guys because he is a a true dual threat dual threat quarterback that was a high four star prospect that started as a true freshman and he was an accurate passer. I think that that the fact that he is in an offense that wasn't uh, 
really create it. It's not an offense that's created to put up video game numbers. It's an offense that tends to be a little bit slower. I look at it and see his production as potentially more translatable. That's not a word, but potentially more easy to believe in his transition from, I mean, college quarterback, who's a great athlete to guy that actually works in the NFL. So I, I think I like his upside the most. He's been my traditional pivot play in a lot of Debbie leagues because mm-hmm. particularly in like a Debbie auction, he you can get him for nothing. He's he's dirt cheap. And compared to that to a guy like Sam Howell, like Keaton Slovis, like Spencer Rattler, all those yeah. guys were more expensive, more way Absolutely. more expensive than Daniels. And honestly, the only thing that scares me about Daniels is he just needs to get up to like 200 pounds. And if he was 200 pounds, we'd be talking about him like right alongside Sam Howe. And I think right now most people have him a half tier below. Yeah. I just don't know why you don't like uh, Keaton Slovis's rushing profile. I mean, he had 45 attempts last year for negative 57 yards. Yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> no. um, but he did throw 30 in- touchdowns last year. Like I think he, he, he was pretty impressive um, through the air, but I, I get your point. It is, you know, the air raid, it is, also, only yeah. one year. One, it's a small sample size. So, um, I do, I do agree that those two names, uh, Slovis and Daniels, are the ones that probably make the most sense to look at from a Debbie perspective. I'm actually curious about Jake Sermon. He was a highly recruited guy in Washington, and they've had some success at quarterback there, but always just a little bit of a disappointment. Whether it's uh, you know Jacob Eason um, or whomever, we can go back you know quite a ways there. But uh, but I, I think Sermon could be pretty good. He's young, first year starter here, so it'll be it'll be fun to watch. And then uh, Tyler Shuck, I think, is going to be good for the offense. I don't think he's really going to translate to the NFL, uh, but I think he has the potential to, especially with Moorhead there uh, calling a little bit more aggressive, um, you know, more aggressive offensive philosophy than what Arroyo had um, when he was the Oregon offensive coordinator. So I'm curious to see what happens. Uh, I think the most, the most important names are, are Daniels and Slovis. So let's go uh, over to running back. Uh, two of the guys that have probably ranked the highest in Debbie from the PAC 12 are CJ Verdell and Max Borgie, uh, both guys who we've dropped over the past uh, couple weeks or months, I should say. And I'm just curious um, if there's anything either one of these guys could do to, to get you excited. Uh, maybe they're a buy low potential because I think a lot of people like us have been moving them down and are a little bit less excited about them. So, so what do you think about those two guys? Um, they're both fine. They're, I, it's, I, they're, they fit in this, that weird tier of running backs in this class that are fine. Um, Borgie strikes me as the type of guy that isn't you. I mean, I don't think you can expect Max Borgie to become a 200 carry guy in the NFL. And that's the concern with him because he, he yeah. pretty much hasn't been a super high usage guy in. Yeah, he averages level. about only averages about 10 carries per game. And what that looks like to me, if you're and I mean, we see this, it's not impossible. Antonio Gibson is leading rushing for um, Washington right now, and he had 33 college carries. So it's not impossible, but I think he needs to be show that he is a competent runner and truthfully. He in the um, NFL combine needs to blow it up to really move up boards. The problem for with Max Borgie was for long stretches of this offseason, Max Borgie was seen as a fringe first round pick in Debbie drafts. And he just never was that it never should have gotten that high. 
He was only that high because we sat around and looked at the board and went, wow, it really sucks after the top three. Yeah. And then there starts to be this desperation. And Max Borgie was the clear cut guy that you just threw up the list because you're like, wow, he's a crazy good receiver. And we all know him and we've all seen highlights of him being athletic on the field. And it was just it was easy to push him up. So, I mean, between Verdell and Borgie, I'd say I think Verdell is the safer choice. I think there's there's going to be a place for him on an NFL roster where he is within the top three on a depth chart with Borgie. I think there's a chance that you see him become an NFL kick returner um, and that's it. But if you're asking me of the two of them, which one is more likely to go to the NFL and like win you a season, it's Max Borgie. Hmm. Yeah. Um, one other name that I just feel like throwing out there because I, uh, he just, he is interesting to me. I don't necessarily know if he will get heavily utilized, but a guy I, uh, when I wrote up USC over the summer, one name that stood out to me was Keenan Christian. Um, he is a like 510 running back, 185, so not huge, but he was a th- high three star prospect and he was essentially a high school sprinter. I love big time speed out of my running backs. So if he gets some of the workload, if he starts to break into that top two, which right now it looks like it's going to mostly be Carr and a name that I can't ever pronounce. Um, so uh, Carr and... I've got some breaking news all of a sudden right here, Matt. Don't do that. UW Cal has been canceled. No! Yeah, just saw that right now. A statement from Jen Cohen, the uh, the AD at... Um, uh, University of Washington just said that they uh, they're canceling it, so there is no game. I when we started, I mentioned that might be a possibility, but sorry to interrupt. Just saw that, so that's uh, that's big news. That's really disappointing. <laughs> well, I laugh because if I don't laugh, I have to cry. <laughs> it's gonna happen. We're gonna get cancellation. So at least it's UW and Cal, and not Arizona State and USC. So it's all right. Um, but let's move on to the wide receivers because running backs are yeah. sad, right? <laughs> Go for it. What, what, who do you like here? We've got some of the big names that we've already mentioned. We've got Amon Ross St. Brown, Tyler Vons, Frank Darby, Micah Pittman. I threw him on because I'm a, <laughs> I'm an Oregon You're truther. And yeah. then <laughs> Brew McCoy. Um, he, Micah Pittman, his brother is playing in the NFL. Cool. Come on, that's got to count for something. <laughs> yeah, it gets you. It gets a team to return your call and then tell you they're not drafting you. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown is, the, is for me the clear-cut guy in this group. He is the one that if there's a guy that is going to jump into first round NFL draft consideration, it's Amon Ross St. Brown. He made an instant impact, an instant impact as a freshman. I think he got around like 20 something. I think it was probably like 21% market share of yards. I don't have numbers in front of me because, and I'm lazy, so I'm not going to go look for him, but he was about a 20% guy as a freshman did about the same thing as a sophomore. Hasn't had a breakout year. And the reason that I was kind of bullish on him in the off season is when Michael Pittman left for the NFL, that left a huge void. And Amon Ross St. Brown was a guy that was getting enough volume that I thought there was an opportunity for a truly dominant season. I think that window's still open. It's going to be harder in six games to truly establish yourself, particularly with Vaughn's present, because Vaughn's is a, he might be a fifth year senior. He's been there forever. Tyler Vaughn's has been playing yeah. at USC since the Civil War. So um, I, I, I think they're going to split it pretty heavily. Um, speaking of Vons, I I don't see much upside to him. He's a guy that he, I don't think he's going to get the Pittman run. 
Now, if I'm wrong and he all of a sudden becomes Michael Pittman, because we all said the same thing about Michael Pittman before last season, then who knows? Tyler Vons might turn himself into a day two prospect that gets on the right roster and actually has value. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't bank on that. Darby and Pittman. Darby's only really on this list because we all think he's going to get the volume that was left over by blanking on Brandon Ayuk. We all think that he's going to get that volume because under Herm Edwards, there's been a guy that has gotten crazy volume and it's typically an older receiver. Frank Darby is an older receiver and has some, some production to make it at least viable. I have no opinions about Pittman. I'll let you do that. But the last one I do want to mention is uh, Brew McCoy. Brew McCoy was a five-star athlete. He was the number nine prospect in his class. Everyone kind of forgot about him because he couldn't make up his mind about where he wanted to go to school. And then he's been a little bit injured. So he's a guy that if he can get onto the field and if he can stay healthy, I think they're going to try and figure out ways to use him because he is just that athletic and he is that type of player that can make an instant impact. And if he does, and if he is kind of establishing himself as one of the go-to guys for Keaton Slovis, then maybe we're looking at a player that going into next year, we're starting to talk about as a top 40, top 50 overall prospect instead of right now, where I think most people have him outside of their top 100. And honestly, I, I haven't even ranked him yet. And I like him a lot. Yeah. No, um, just a quick word on Pittman. He, if you look at his stats, you'll be very underwhelmed. He struggled a ton of uh, struggled a ton with injuries last year, so was not really able to produce all that much. And even when he did play, uh, he didn't look quite ready to be uh, the alpha receiver that he was recruited to be. Uh, he was a four star commit. Um, he had like a the two four seven sports composite gave him a, like a nine five seven a nine five eight. So like pretty highly ranked guy. Um, he he's he's a he's a big guy. He's not as doesn't have that high top end speed like, you know, a GK Metcalf, <laughs> but who does? Uh, but he uh, is great with contested balls. He's got excellent hands um, and, and he's he is quick um, as opposed to fast. Um, that didn't get that top high top end speed, but he is a uh, he, he's you know, he is explosive. So um, I don't think he projects to be uh, a day like a first round draft pick eventually. Uh, but I do think that he could be uh, a mid-level mid-level pick and find some success in the NFL, but not someone that I would be like, you know, trading, trying to trade for desperately hoping to, uh, to get something. I also think the style of offense that Oregon likes to play, which is not vertical. It, they like those outside the screen passes, like the bubble screens. Um, they don't do the vertical quite as often as, as maybe we'd like. And especially seeing how Justin Herbert's really performing in the NFL, you got to wonder why maybe more head changes, some of that, but uh, that doesn't really speak to Pittman's game. I think Pittman would be better suited if he was able to be unleashed in the vertical game. Um, and if that happens, maybe he, his stock jumps, but I don't think that's going to happen, but I do like him a lot. I think he's a really quality receiver and I do think he'll be playing in the NFL, uh, but not someone that necessarily is going to be a, a, a huge producer, uh, especially not right away. So uh, those are my thoughts on him. Uh, defensively, uh, some of the big names, I mean, Thibodeau for the Ducks, I mean, outstanding defensive end. We don't need to get into him too much other than the fact that he really came on at the second half of the year last year. I think he is a type of player that can dominate, uh, similar to what Chase Young did last year, where you just have to game plan around him because he is just so explosive. Um, I think he is the real deal and a, a future top five pick in the NFL. Yeah. Um, the one guy on defense that I'm interested in it, I put down Clark Phillips. He is a, 
he's a freshman. He was a top 50 overall recruit. He's a cornerback. Um, we talked about how Utah lost so much on their team. And this is arguably their most talented recruit that they've had in a long time. Um, he was an Ohio State flip. He was committed to Ohio State all the way up until their uh, – Heck, he didn't even sign on the first day of the early signing period. I think he signed on the third. And he was in hard Ohio State commit, hard Ohio State commit. And then when Jeff Halfley left to take the Boston College head coaching job, he flipped over to Utah, largely on the basis that they have consistency within their head coaching program um, and all their coordinators. So, yeah, he's just a guy. I think he's really talented and he could be the type of player that Utah needs when they're trying to revamp a roster. So. I, I don't necessarily think he'll get on the field immediately, but a player that is that level of talent tends to not sit on the bench for a long time. Yeah. And speaking of revamping your roster, sometimes you need to revamp your employees and to do so you need to go and hire someone great. And to do that, I recommend using indeed.com because they are the number one job site in the world because they get you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts, which is awesome. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply, and this offer is valid through December 31st. All right, Matt, let's get into the Week 9 recap. You, uh, on your locks this year, went 3-5. and five. Uh, you're 16, 20, and two on the year. I went four and three on mine. I'm uh, at 20 and 23. Um, we did better on the the previews. You went five and zero, oh, absolutely crushed it. You're up to 23 and 18. I went four and one. Uh, I'm up to 22 and 19. So we're doing well in that department. We're gonna move our locks over into the winning column as soon as this week. So I'm I'm excited. But why don't you run us through your your uh, picture of games that you you had last week and and kind of give us uh, some overarching thoughts. So my wins of the week were Ohio State minus 11 and a half against Penn State. They won by 13. ULM and App State, I had under 55 and a half. The total only hit 44. I had BYU uh, minus 28 and a half against Western Kentucky. They won that game by 31. And then my losses were uh, really just a bunch of sadness. Uh, Cincinnati and Memphis, well, the, I took the under on 55 and a half. That game got to 59 because Jerome Ford, who I love as a prospect and love normally, uh, broke a 40-yard touchdown with a minute left in the game when they were winning comfortably to push uh, it to the over. That that's one killed me. always the worst. Um, Northwestern and Iowa. That game was at 30, I think it was at 34 points at the half. Um, they needed one touchdown to get over in the fourth quarter. Nope, no more scoring whatsoever. Missed on my over of 46. Um, I had Clemson at minus 18 in the first half against Boston College. While I did um, have that before the Trevor Lawrence news came out, uh, I, I won't even, I won't lie to this. Uh, I, my, another article that said I still would take them up to minus 14, uh, up to minus 17. And I mean, I was just wrong. Boston college played great and was deservedly ahead. Uh, Texas at Oklahoma state, you know, 
Oklahoma State's defense actually played okay. I thought this result's a little bit misleading that they got to 75, but whatever. That was a big-time miss. And then Iowa State and Kansas. You know, apparently teams can score on Kansas however much they want. And <laughs> Iowa State's defense isn't, like, absurdly good that they couldn't keep them. So I had under 52, total was 74. Honestly, with the way the week started for me on this, when I started off, I believe I started off 0-4. I'm okay with yeah. a three and five week. I clawed back. Yeah. Um, and, and that, that Texas game, I mean, who, who would have known there'd be so many turnovers? I mean, Oklahoma state, did you know favors there by giving Texas so many opportunities to score? It really put their defense in a, in a really terrible spot. I went four and three. My wins were, I also had Ohio state uh, minus 11 and a half. Um, I took Northwestern plus two and a half. They ended up uh, winning by one. I had Troy plus three. They won by 28. And then I had the over in Boise Air Force, and that one hit, uh, it was over 49. It, it landed at 79, so that felt great about that one. Uh, my misses were, were I, I didn't miss small this week. I missed big. <laughs> I had Minnesota in minus 19 and a half. They flat out lost to Maryland by one. I had Charlotte plus 11. They lost 53 to 19. So talk about big, big misses. And then UNC minus six and a half at Virginia. They also just flat out lost. What? a train wreck <laughs> for UNC. Um, but again, I, I felt like I was going to go seven or no, had a lovely feeling about it. And uh, four and three is not quite what I was hoping for, but you know, we, we live hey, to fight won. another day and yeah, um, our upset specials, uh, we had Baylor, Houston and Northwestern, Northwestern hit. Uh, so, so that's nice. I think we, we keep hitting one every week, which is, you know, pretty good to start. Uh, so let's get into some of these games that we, we, we talked about. We have Memphis, at Cincinnati, Cincinnati, Cincinnati rolled 49 to 10. The line was six and a half. We both picked this game right. Um, did you watch much of this? I'll be honest. I did not get the opportunity to watch very many games this week. Um, I watched the early slate and some of the late slate, but it was Halloween and I got kids and it was it was crazy, especially because Halloween was so weird this year with the pandemic and all that stuff. So so things were a little bonkers. But um, yeah, I did catch some of the early games, which was nice. Uh, but what, what did you think of this one? Um, Cincinnati's defense is really good. They're going to stop most offenses they play. And Memphis is a good team, not a great team. I think that this outcome realistically isn't that surprising. Um, I, I just think Cincinnati's a really strong team. I don't, don't expect UC to score 49 points most weeks. I think what you're going to start to see is them kind of get back into their grind against not, I mean, it won't happen this week because they're playing against a Houston defense that is similarly atrocious. But uh, I think a lot of weeks you're going to see Cincinnati try and grind out wins, probably with them in the low 30s and them holding teams in the teens. They're just a really, they're a really, really, really good defense. And right now they're really well coached by Luke Fickle. I would expect that, I don't even know. I don't know if there's going to be a great job for Luke Fickle to, or to move to unless he wants that Michigan job when it opens up because they'll probably come calling. Yeah, they look really good. And, you know, I've I've heard some people and seen some people write that maybe Cincinnati deserves, if they continue this up, to be in the playoff. I don't think that happens, but they're certainly putting up a, a case for it. Uh, I was watching Desmond Ritter. Slaughtered? I mean, do we want to see them get uh, slaughtered no. by uh, Clemson? No, but that's what they'd have to do. But they might be deserving of it. <laughs> they might deserve to get slaughtered. In, uh, they might deserve year. to be in the room. Yeah, I don't know. But Desmond, Desmond Ritter uh, played awesome. 
270 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, he ran for two more, so five total touchdowns on the game. Uh, absolute baller. Again, Memphis's defense isn't you know great. Uh, you were watching Dokes. What did you think of the the running back? He's good. I mean, he's not. I think Ford is better. I think Ford should be getting a majority of the work, but Dokes is kind of just your run of the mill guy, run of the mill college running back that is kind of just a grinder and he does stuff. Um, not a special game, 77 yards on 18 attempts, one reception for no yards. Yeah. Free Jerome well, that's a, Ford. Yeah. One of the bigger, uh, as far as exciting games of the week, uh, one of the, maybe the most leading, most misleading box scores that I've ever seen, uh, Texas 41 at Oklahoma State, who scored 34. Oklahoma State was favored three and a half. We were both on Texas. We were both right. Um, weird game. You look at the box score and you would have thought that Oklahoma State won by, you know, 20 points until you look at that turnover margin. That was that was really, really bad. Uh, Spencer Sanders looked really great at times, uh, throwing 400 yards with four touchdowns. Uh, Tylen Wallace looked amazing with 11 receptions for 187 yards and two scores. Uh, really impressed by, continue to be impressed by Tylen Wallace. What did you think of this game? What do you think of those players and uh, the guys you were watching? Um, I mean, the guy I was watching was Tarek Black. Pretty much wasn't involved, so can't say much about him. Um, I this game sort of it, it was really not what I expected. I I did expect Oklahoma State's offense to struggle. They didn't really. They just continued to give away the ball, which I guess in theory is struggling. Um, and then Texas's offense. I thought they were actually going to struggle and. Sure seems like they did, despite it's weird when you struggle and you have under 300 total yards and still manage to just break 40 points. But cool. Thanks for the gift, Oklahoma State, for continuing right. to make it possible for him. It's man, this is a frustrating loss for me because I wasn't even close on the uh, on the total. But it feels like I should have been. This stat line does not seem or doesn't point to a game that ends up in the 70s, but just mad. Um, I'm glad I flipped from Texas because I had Oklahoma State originally and then mid-podcast changed it to Texas. So I'm happy I did that because I still believe that Texas is more talented and that's generally my gauge. But this was stupid and I don't like it. Yeah, four turnovers is not great. But yeah, to your point. Alabama, 41, Mississippi State, who, you know, started off the year. Everyone loved Mike Leach. He was going to be the coach of the year in the SEC. You heard it from Matt first that it was all a sham and that Mississippi State would come crashing down. It was an illusion. It was a mirage. Alabama crushed him. (laughs) The line was 30. We were both on Bama, and uh, they took care of business. No problem. I mean... I, I did. I said it that game. I, I said it after that first game, and I said it before the year. Oh, yeah. I, think, I, I think, didn't mean to sound sarcastic there. I no, was being Mike serious. Mike <laughs> will be fired within three years of being at Mississippi State. He is not a good head coach. His system is completely all about, like, a mirage and hoping he can catch teams off guard, but it doesn't work when a team knows exactly what's coming and knows how to defend it. It is what it is. Sucks. They also, I mean, the the big news that we got kind of before this game that had been kind of floating out there is that Kylan Hill opted out. So Kylan Hill's gone. Um, it's fine. They're not going to be, they didn't run the ball anyway. They treated him like a receiver, which was a disservice to him. They're not going to be very good uh, the rest of the way. Uh, they're one in four right now. So if you're that one team that lost them, former national champion at LSU, you should feel very bad. And 
I mean, realistically, what at this point, until we get like to the playoff, I don't know if I'm going against Alabama. They just keep hitting. Um, their offense is too good. It hasn't skipped a beat since they lost. Uh, since they lost Waddle, I'm sorry if I told. I'm sorry I told you to take Mechie in DFS spots. It was a Devonta Smith week. Yeah, Devonta there was no, there was no, nothing to share. <laughs> uh, so he had 15 targets, turned into 11 receptions for 203 yards and four touchdowns. Yeah, that was the guy that was going to win you your your DFS spot, your DFS league this week. So I'm sorry. Yeah, just unreal. Two hundred three and four, and and Mac Jones, who I was watching, only threw two hundred ninety one and four. So he had all but all but like seventy eight of the yards, something like that. My math is not great. Uh, I think that checks out. Ah, well, you know, I was close. Um, <laughs> still, unbelievable, unbelievable day for uh, Devonta Smith. And, you know, if, if he can't win the Heisman this year, I think we can just all agree that the Heisman is just going to be a quarterback award for a while because he is doing everything he can to show that he uh, at least deserves some serious consideration. Let's move on to Ohio State at Penn State. We got to speed it up because we're already at 42 minutes and we're not even looking ahead yet. Uh, Ohio State, we are both on them. They won 38-25. The line was, you know, everywhere between 10 and 11 and a half, depending on when you went for it. Uh, Jackson, Smith, and Jigba got another catch. I mean, I, I don't expect this was a I'm week where I think jerk. it was like, <laughs> it's fine. I think like 80% of the yards and 70% of the receptions went to either Alave or Garrett Wilson. It was something absurd. You won't see that every week. This was just expected to be a super duper competitive game, which meant they were going to go to the guys that they trusted a lot. Um, I mean, I, my, my big news coming out of this game is that Justin Fields had six incompletions. Knock him down your rankings. He is he's garbage. <laughs> um, no, I mean Justin Fields continues to be amazing. He's the front runner for the Heisman, in my opinion. And yeah, they're they're going to be very difficult to beat. This was a super weird game. It sh- the score looks like it was close, but it was never close. And they got gifted three points by the refs. Yeah, that was that was weird so, to end the first half. I'm assuming you're you're meaning yes. Yeah. Um, I was watching the running backs. T, he looked good. 23 for 110 and a touch, like in a touchdown. Uh, looked turn. like he, but, but I mean, I mean, when you've got so turn. many other things to, to, to fret about uh, with, uh, with this Ohio State offense, I think T's going to be just fine. Um, I think he's going to be good enough for you guys to, uh, to win all the games you need to win. Um, let's move on to the last game Boston College 28, Clemson 34. This one looked like it might go. Full on Boston College. I'll be honest. At halftime, I was able to. Or was maybe right before halftime. I don't know. I don't remember when. Somewhere in the third quarter, I I think right after Clemson scored their touchdown, I was able to get Clemson at minus four, and I put a lot on it, and I was very happy to see them pull this one out. Um, they they only didn't push because they got that safety at the end of the game. But yeah, thirty four twenty eight. Boston College covers. You got this one right. I got this one wrong. You um you have anything interesting to say about this game? Uh Zay Flowers is awesome. Uh he went he only I mean they're Boston College is going to target him a ton. He got 10 targets. He only really converted or he only converted 3 of them into receptions, but I don't care. He's awesome. Um yeah, I'm the the big news out of this game that we have to all point to is DJU um Uangolele is going to be special next year. So for all those sitting there hoping that Trevor Lawrence comes back, because he hinted at it once Clemson fans might want to be rooting for Trevor Lawrence to go so they can hold on to this guy. So he doesn't leave in the portal 
because he has the potential to be very special. Not that he will be better than Trevor Lawrence, because I think Trevor Lawrence is also special. But you don't I wanna, saw someone like, on ESPN saying that he was going to be better. I was like, oh, stop it. <laughs> I, I just think you're talking about a guy that might be like an accurate Cam Newton. And if that's the case, you want that guy on your roster. So prepare for your future. It is DJ Uangalele. Yeah, I thought he looked amazing. I I think part of the problem Clemson got into that hole early is they, from my eyes, as this was one of the games I watched closely before you know all the Halloween stuff set in, he was uh, he was not really given the opportunity to take control of that game until late. It looked like they didn't want to uh, use his arm or, or even his legs. And once they finally unleashed him a little bit and let him take some shots everything changed um and i think well, they were also they, missing they missed they were missing a couple of players on defense i think they were missing a starting linebacker and i also yeah so that made a, it, it helped in boston college scoring a little bit so this i think this is a little bit of a misleading game honestly don't use it to judge clemson look at that second half see how much they yeah. dominated the second half and that should be your your feeling about that game yeah i mean that 96 yard scoop and score for B, for for boston college made the score look even worse for a little bit. Etienne ended up with a monster game with 140 receiving yards on seven receptions. Um, yeah, another great performance. Uh, let's take a quick break. We're going to hear from our friends at Rotoviz, And by friends, I mean our colleagues and ourselves. <laughs> so, so here we go. We're going to take a quick, quick break. We'll be back with you in a second. What's up, listeners? This is Curtis Patrick. I just wanted to stop by and say thank you for supporting Rotoviz Radio. You are the absolute best audience in the business, and I know it. As a special thank you, I'm offering 10% off your next Rotoviz subscription. Just use code 2020RVRADIO at checkout. That's right. Go to rotoviz.com, click subscribe, and enter code 2020RVRADIO at checkout for 10% off. You can even extend your subscription. Oh, and one more thing. If you haven't ever done it, please rate and review the podcast you're listening to right now on Apple Podcasts. It's really easy. It only takes like 10, 15 seconds. Just do it. We'd love to hear your feedback. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Let's get into the Week 10 preview. Let's roll through this kind of quick, Matt. We've got BYU at Boise State plus three. This is, I think, a Friday night special. What you got here? I think BYU is the best group of five team out there. And I've, I, you just heard me sing the praises of UC. I think BYU is a better team. Because of that, I'm taking BYU or giving three points. I I honestly don't think they're going to struggle that much with this game as good as Boise State typically is. So, yeah, give me give me all the BYU. And I'm watching Khalil who, Shakir, who's fun. Cool. Yeah. Um, I am also on BYU in this game. Uh, Zach Wilson, I just want to continue to see what he can do. Super impressed by him. I'm not sure he's, you know, the next coming. But... 19 touchdowns, two interceptions, 2,100 plus yards. He looks pretty impressive to me. I'd like to see him up against this Boise State team that, uh, yeah, I, I'm curious what they are. They went up against a run-heavy offense last week. Um, so let's see what they can do against BYU, who's a little bit more dynamic. It's going to be a fun game. Um, let's let's roll. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Uh, Michigan at Indiana. Indiana plus three and a half. What do you got here? Screw it. I'm taking Indiana. I, mean, I got Indiana catching three and a half points. Um, I do think that Michigan is a, uh, they're probably better than they showed. I think Indiana is a tiny bit fraudulent, but Indiana is just a, I mean, they're, they're one of those teams. That's just quality player. I'm going to watch in this game is Wap Fillier, the receiver for Indiana. He's been their go-to guy. I think he continues to be their go-to guy And Michigan's defense. 
really played poorly last week. Michigan State, for the most part, dominated them. And yeah. I don't know what to pick. I had Indiana, and then when you switched yours, I switched mine just to be controversial. But actually, I am going to stick with Indiana. I forgot how bad they looked against Michigan State. Oh, my God. Uh, It was so bad. And I just wanted to believe more from, you know, Michigan's first game where, you know, they looked pretty good against Minnesota. But we have learned since then that Minnesota's defense is just atrocious. They just lost too much on that side of the football. So I think Michigan was a kind of bolstered up by by that uh, i'm gonna take michael Penix. i'm kind of curious to see what he can do he's been super exciting so far everyone will remember him stretching out for that for that touchdown uh, but he's been doing well through the air as well he's he's thrown for 408 yards and four touchdowns uh, let's see what he can do with his uh his group of wide receivers with the most exciting fun and just bonkers names uh so yeah so we're both on indiana uh, let's go to the greatest outdoor cocktail party maybe not so much this year but florida at georgia Georgia laying four and a half points. Where are you on this one? I think Georgia rolls. Um, a few weeks ago when I was when there was the Texas A&M game with Florida where Florida got upset, I, I, that was when my opinion really changed on this one. Uh, Georgia's defense is going to be able to get stops against Florida, and I don't think you can say the same thing about Florida's defense. Their rush defense is among the worst in the country. Uh, pretty much everyone that goes against them, every running back ends up the next week being the leader in broken tackles which is why I'm going to be watching Zamir White. I expect him to have a very, very, very big game, and I would expect that Georgia wins this game by more than a touchdown. Yeah, this game is really interesting to me because you've got a really good Florida offense against a really, really good Georgia defense, and then you've got a Georgia offense that's just, in my opinion, okay against a Florida defense that up until last week looked terrible. So it's kind of like strength versus weakness for both, like all sides of the ball. Um, four and a half just seems kind of big to me. I don't know if Georgia is going to be able to do quite enough, um, to, to, to make up that gap. So I'm going to lean Florida here. I still think Georgia wins this game, but I think they win it by a field goal. I think Florida is their defense going to show up a little bit more. I think Bennett's not going to be able to do quite as much as he usually does. And, uh, the player I'm watching outside of, um, Kyle and Kyle is Tony. Uh, I've been really interested seeing how he's been utilized in this offense. They, they get him involved in really creative ways, both through receptions and, and rushing. So curious to see how he gets going, if he can get going against this really elite Georgia defense. This one's interesting. We've got Clemson at Notre Dame. Notre Dame is being given five and a half points. Uh, this line, I actually bet this game like two weeks ago because the line was like minus 10 and a half. Uh, for Clemson. And I was like, Oh, I want that. And then of course, Trevor Lawrence went out um, and the line has, has changed a bit. So I'm, you know, I lost five points of value. That's okay. Uh, Where are you with this line though? Five and a half. I'm taking Clemson. I think that they're going to, after seeing what um, DJU was able to do in the second half against Boston college, which is a quality defense. um, I think they're going to trust him a little bit more. And then when they do that, that's when I think they're going to start to utilize etn a little bit heavier i thought last week was going to be a big game for etn on the ground turned out that they wanted to use him on uh in the passing game a little bit more i i think clemson is very very good and while i do think it's a massive drop off right now from trevor lawrence to dju i also think that he's still better than ian book and while i do think that notre dame is going to be able to run the ball very effectively against Clemson. I don't think they're going to be able 
be able to pass the ball super effectively because as weird as this sounds, I think Phil Jerkovic might've been a tougher opponent for Clemson last week than Notre Dame is going to be because they don't have a Zay Flowers um, who can really threaten a defense in a way. So if I'm Notre Dame, I'm doing everything I can to get the ball in players like Chris Tyree's hands because I think he is going to be their most explosive weapon in this type of game. But I don't see them doing that. And I think that because of that, Clemson is going to find a way to finish more drives than Notre Dame does. And I I can't see it ending as a field goal. I would take Clemson. I think the line would probably be better suited at six and a half than five and a half because I think the, the touchdown is kind of the spot that is really the kicker here. Yes, and I agree with absolutely everything that you just said. I like Clemson quite a bit in this game. Um, the number I, the, I, I see numbers at like plus five as well. So, I mean, that's interesting too. Uh, Clemson just looks really, really good to me. I know they had a hiccup last week, but they were able to overcome that, still get the win. I'm excited to see what DJ can do against, you know, this, I mean, Notre Dame's had a very good defense. So I'm curious how he will perform against it. Notre Dame has not really been able to produce explosive plays to your point, um, especially in the passing game. So I think Clemson will be able to kind of limit their scoring. And then, you know, I don't know how you can stop Clemson for 60 minutes. No one's been able to do it. So uh, give me Clemson uh, plus five, plus five and a half. I feel comfortable with those numbers. And I think it's going to be a, a pretty, pretty convincing win. I think Clemson's going to kind of end up rolling pretty easily. Uh, if I'm honest. What were you saying? I said minus yeah. five. Clemson plus five. If you can. Get oh that, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whoops. Um, I was reading Notre Dame plus five and said it instead of moving the plus to a negative. Anyway, let's go to our brunch game. Arizona State at USC. USC minus ten and a half. In the brunch game special, uh, I'm going to take Arizona State catching points because I think a nine a.m. local kickoff is going to make things weird and keep the game low scoring. In a low-scoring game, I'm going to take a double-digit dog. Um, I'm watching Jaden Daniels because Jaden Daniels is awesome. Yeah, I'm with you on this. And I also think even if this weren't uh, at such a wonky time in such a wonky year, um, I just think Arizona State is a talented football team, and I don't hate their coaching staff. <laughs> I think their defense has been pretty good over the years. Uh, they're they're a disciplined team. I think 10.5 is a, is a pretty big point spread for a USC team that kind of disappointed us last year. I mean, they have a lot of talent, but they haven't really been able to translate that often. Arizona State had some massive wins last year. Uh, they also had some pretty uh, rough outings. But uh, to me, this this was just a surprising line. Um, not so surprising that I'm going to like lock this up or anything, but, but to me, it just seemed uh, like too much. And, you know, we've seen a bunch of crazy outcomes early on uh, as conference play has, has started in various places. So uh, Arizona State, double digits. Yes, please. I'm watching Keaton Slovis. I'm curious what he looks like. Uh, see if there's a sophomore slump in his future or if he can really take that next step that so many people are projecting. Uh, we'll be very curious to see how he looks. Let's finish it off with Stanford at Oregon. Oregon, uh, the line was 10 and a half. It's now down to eight. I'm not exactly sure why, but I'm all over it. Give me Oregon. Really excited to watch this team play. I think they could come out a little slow with all the new pieces they have on offense, new quarterback, new offensive line. Uh, but I think their defense is so, so strong, uh, so elite that they will keep Stanford from being able to do very much at all on offense. And Oregon eventually will get things together. Things will start to click. They'll be able to... Um, 
I really think take advantage of the running game as well as, you know, some of those, I mean, I'm curious what Moorhead's going to do, but I, I think eight's not too scary of a number. So I, I feel pretty confident with Oregon. I'm watching Micah Pittman. I want to see his involvement this year. Um, I'm really hoping he makes the, that next step because last year with the injuries and all the things I talked about earlier, just kind of disappointing, uh, but he's so talented. I'm excited to see what he can do. Uh, I'm also taking Oregon. Uh, you said all the reasons they're good. Stanford. is yeah. good. Um, I'm watching <laughs> your boy, Tyler. Show. Yeah because I don't know how to pronounce his name. So I'm going to show it's Shuck. Yeah. Rhymes with my favorite word. So, um, I, I just think, I, I think Oregon's going to be too much for him and I don't have a strong opinion about this. So I'm going to take the team that I think is substantially better. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And you know, even though you and I won't be out there, uh, playing football, we get to sit down and watch and we love to bet and we love to use BetOnline.ag. BetOnline has been going the extra mile to make sure that we can get in on as many possible chances to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in there, get all the new bonuses as you, when you sign up. You can bet on NFL futures, college football futures all day, every day. There's so much to find on BetOnline. So get over there today and sign up and get one of their great bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline is your online sportsbook experts. All right, Matt, let's get into our locks for week 10. Why don't you give us one first? My board's really heavy now. Uh, I keep adding to it. I'm going to go with my brunch special one um, with USC and Arizona State under 58. Uh, I mean, it's I had been saying all year that I thought sloppiness was going to come from a weird offseason. With this one, even more so because even once they allowed them to get back to it, they you a lot of teams were struggling to get into the practice facilities due to uh, wildfires. So I I don't see USC coming out on fire the way that you would hope, and because of that, I'm going to take the under in this game at 58. I'm calling it the sleepiness factor. So okay, sleepy, sleepy USC and sleepy Arizona State who have to wake up probably at like 3 a.m. for this game. They're not getting to 58 points. All right. I, I can dig it. Uh, my first one, I feel real good about it. Give me Fresno State at UNLV. Fresno State minus 11 is my play. UNLV in their two games um, has been really, really terrible. Their defense ranks 101st in the country in the total points. Um, they've been giving up just a ton of rushing yards. Uh, their offense hasn't been any better. Uh, they have only averaged like 12 points a game, uh, which is real bad. Um, they are 111th in, in, in that category. They are ranked 99th in passing yards, 102nd in rushing yards. So again, they've only played two games, but they have not looked good in either of them. So Fresno State, on the other hand, has been able to you know, do just fine on offense, um, they're moving the ball quickly. I like Fresno State quite a bit. I think that they end up uh, covering this uh, pretty well. I think they, I think they have this one in the bag, you know, by the third quarter. So give me Fresno State minus eleven. I like it. Um, I'm going to go to one of the games we talked about in our preview. Uh, BYU minus three against Boise. I honestly don't have a lot of stats to back this up, but BYU's been a, a machine this year. I think they're doing well against the spread. I honestly don't know, but. When I saw this line, I thought it looked silly. And because of that, I'm taking BYU minus three against Boise. Yeah, BYU uh, so far on the year 
excuse me, is 5-1-1 one, and one against the spread. I'm on this game as well, and, and I would lean uh, that minus three with you. Um, but what I'm actually playing is the over, shock to no one. Uh, I think Boise State will be able to hang around for a little while, keep it close for a little while, but BYU will eventually pull it out um, and do so with lots of scoring. Uh, both these teams' average scores are in the 40s, so I feel very confident that they'll be able to hit this um, relatively what, what I thought was kind of a, a low number at 59 and a half. I like it. Um, whatever. I've got ones that actually have my stuff pulled up for. So Michigan state at Iowa, I'm taking Iowa minus six and a half. Michigan state has, uh, they were honestly pretty fraudulent against uh, Northwestern. Uh, they had, I think it was seven turnovers, pretty gross. Um, and then they were just, I mean, Michigan wasn't really, coming that game prepared. Uh, they have a success rate running the ball of 28.4%. They only produce 1.7 line yards per attempt, and they allow havoc on 17.3% of plays. That does not bode well for their offensive line, um, particularly when they're going up against an Iowa defense that only allows a 32% success rate against the run and a 36.5 success rate overall. S&P Plus has this spread. Should be at 7.9. I'm taking the Hawkeyes. I'm, I feel pretty good about it. Yeah, no, I, I like that one. I I think fading fading Michigan State is is not bad after a, a huge win like that. Uh, my next one is I'm taking Clemson. I can find it now at minus five, which feels really good. Uh, I don't love some of the trends for this. I mean, Clemson on the year is two and five against the spread. But again, I think it's important to remember that their spreads have been so big that it doesn't really take into effect. Um, you know, the fact that they're having to, to go up against such large numbers. This is a, a single digit number that I feel pretty good about. So uh, there's been only one game this year that has been within that single digit. And that was last week against Boston College. Every other game, they've, they've taken care of business really easily, even when not, um, you know, winning against the spread. So minus five, it feels like a really good number. Um, I'm going to take Clemson. I like it. Um I'm going to go to Homerism here, and that is Ohio State in the first half. I'm taking them minus 23 and a half. Last year in a game where it was quote-unquote closer um, against Rutgers, they were leading by 28 points at half. I can't see a way that Rutgers' first-string team is able to really hang with Ohio State. What was kind of the big standout thing that I noticed from their Michigan State game was that they averaged their average starting field position was at their own 45-yard line. And then the next week when it was back at the 30, you saw a pretty substantial drop-off in their ability to score points. I think that game against uh, Michigan State is going to look a little bit more fraudulent each week just because you're not going to get seven turnovers each week. So Ohio State's first-string team, I do think they're going to be able to do whatever they want to against this. And then I, I honestly probably would still take them covering 38 points because historic, since they've been in the conference they've averaged a 46 point margin of victory against this team but on the off chance that you see the backups as early as like mid third quarter i just would rather take the early points and lock that game at the half oh i like it um i just realized i lost one of my locks i had washington uh, plus one as a lock and that's no longer um able to be played so that is unfortunate but i will be taking miami minus nine and a half versus North Carolina State. North Carolina State is 5-11 and 11 against the spread in their last 16 games. 
Meanwhile, Miami is four and two against the spread in their last six. That's this year. And they have been doing the very same four and two against the, the uh, North Carolina State Wolfpack. So uh, the trends kind of favor Miami. I also think they're just in a good spot right here. I think they're going to be able to move the ball uh, pretty well against this defense. And I do think that this line hasn't really taken into effect uh, the, the quarterback injury that North Carolina State had um, a couple weeks ago. So I feel good with the number. Um, I'm seeing it, you know, minus nine and a half is, is the best I can find it. I'm seeing it most places around 10, 10 and a half. I would take it up to 11. Uh, so Miami, minus nine and a half. Back to you. All right. Um, I'm going to go with probably uh, one that I have a little bit of concern about, but whatever. It's it's a fun one for me. I'm going to go U, U, uh, ULM, Louisiana Monroe, um, and Georgia State under 59 and a half. ULM is a really good under team this year. They're one, one in six against the number. Um, and yeah, they're, they're really bad on defense. They're on offense. Their success rate on offense is 36.1%. And their passing success rate is 38.4. The one concern I have about them is they actually do lean a bit, little bit pass heavy. They run the ball on 47% of plays, but they're just not like a great team. They allow havoc on 20% of plays they're, they don't really finish drives all that well. They're only finishing opportunities uh, beyond the 40 at 2.6 or 2.6 points per opportunity. And they're going up against a Georgia State team that has scored quite a few points, but they do run the ball really heavily. So they average 76.1% uh, of their plays per game are running plays. And I just think that with them eating away the clock and Louisiana Monroe being such a bad team, that this is a spot where the clock is running enough that you're not going to get to 60 points between these two teams. So I'm taking the under, and I feel honestly really good about that one. Nice. I like it. I am going to go to one that I feel good about too, one we've already talked about, and that's Stanford at Oregon. I'm double dipping in this game. I'm taking the under 52 as well as Oregon minus eight. I liked this na this number a little bit better earlier in the week when it was at 56, <laughs> but it's gone down substantially. Uh, 52 still feels like a good number. Similar to what you said about your uh, your USC Arizona State under, I just feel like the teams are going to get get off to a slow start. I think the defenses will show up a little bit uh, before the the offenses do. Um, I think you know Oregon's uh, Oregon unders were were have historically been very favorable to me. Uh, so I feel good about that. And, and eight's not a very big number for them to win by. I know for sure I'm not going to go 0-2 on this one. I know for sure one of these is going to hit, and I think both of them will. So give me Oregon minus eight and under 52. Nice. Um, I'm going back to the well with Cincinnati. Uh, I had them last week. Um, I think this is a honestly a pretty similar matchup. Houston's defense is not going to be elite, and Cincinnati's defense is going to pretty much hold them in check. They only are allowing uh 29.6% success rate and they're creating havoc on 22.5% of plays. Houston's actually allowing quite a bit of havoc. They allow havoc on 18% of their plays, havoc being any tackle for loss or turnover. Um I I can't see a way where Houston is able to move the ball really effectively and because of that, I'm going to take Cincinnati who is 3 and 2 against the spread on the year. Give us another one cuz I only have like one left. Fine. Um this is one, uh, it's a little bit principally, and it's the fact that I um, I was really wrong about Kansas. I thought Kansas was a great underplay this year. Turns out they're a great overplay. They're 5-0-1 on the overs this year. 
OU is four and two on the overs this year. You can get this number at about 63. Um, I'm taking the over for Kansas and Oklahoma. Ooh, I like it. And I've got kind of a feel gross though. Yeah. I'm going against um, trends on this one. App state is one and four against the spread on the year, yet they remain four and one um, in real life. In your heart. But I, and yeah, I know they're, they're, they're doing, I've, I've bet them many times. I swore I would never do it. And then I finally won with them last week. So now I'm like all back in. But Texas State is not very good. Uh, so I I think, you know, Texas State is one in seven. They have just been struggling um, so much. I think this is a nice spot for, uh, for, for App State to get things moving. I think they end up winning this game comfortably. 17 and a half is a pretty big number, but I think they're able to do it. I, I have a feeling I might be sweating this one, but... In the end, they will prove to have been uh, the right call. 17 and a half feels pretty good. If you look over on Odd Shark, uh, they have this game as like 50 to 12. Like their their computers project an absolute blowout for App State. Uh, and I like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with that. That feels that feels pretty good. So uh, let's let's go App State Mountaineers. I will live and die with you. What you got? You still adding more to your board. Love it. Weird. Um so I've got two more. I think you will, you have none left, so I'll clear these out real quick. Maryland and Penn I might, State. I might, I might dip in again. We'll see. Okay. I'm, t- I'm taking a look. So Maryland and Penn State, it, the total right now is sitting at 63. Both of these teams run the ball over 60% of the plays. Maryland last week um, kind of exposed how bad Minnesota's defense is. The one thing that I can guarantee is that they're going to see a much better defensive, uh, just talented team in Penn State. And... I, I do think that Penn State's offense just lacks the explosive offside or upside that you would be afraid of in this type of matchup. Because of that, I'm going to take the under here and assume that neither one of these teams really gets far into the 30s. Do you have one more for me, or am I going to go with my no, last? No, I, I feel like I, I'd just be, uh, I'd be doing it for add. the sake of doing right, it, well, and I don't need oh, to do that. So North Texas is one of the best over teams in the country. Um and Louisiana Tech is a pretty quality offense. This number has come down, actually, and one of the reasons I didn't initially have it on my list is because it had gotten as high as 73, and now it's back down to 69. Um, I'm going to take Louisiana Tech and North Texas over 69. This is going to be a shootout because neither one of these teams play good defense, and they're both pretty effective on offense. So I like this spot for me to do one more over, which makes me feel a little bit sick but they're both more established yeah that's a big number though uh 69 is a it's it's fun though i like it i think it'll be it's it's very nice (laughs) Uh, i've got a couple upset specials for you i've got liberty Liberty. they're you know minus 15 at vatech plus 15 at vatech but they they get plus 460 that's a huge number and vatech's been all over the place and liberty's looked good so I don't know. That one just kind of popped off just because that that plus 460 looks pretty good. And then Nebraska plus 149. We didn't get to see Nebraska play uh, last week because of the uh, not postponed. I almost said again, the canceled game versus Wisconsin. But they looked, you know, for a half, they were really sticking around with Ohio State. And if it wasn't for some absolutely bogus um, penalties, they would have probably won that game. I'm just teasing you, buddy. I'm um, just trying to get I was you like, Do I need to like, run <laughs> Colorado? No, no, um, no. But Northwestern, they've looked pretty good, but I'm not exactly sure what to make of them. So to me, this was just let's just uh, get a little value plus 149, Nebraska. So 
I think I still think Pitt is sort of undervalued. I they've been sort of exposed. They're not the super duper elite defense, and they're definitely not this team that's gonna wow you. Um, but I don't understand why they're a dog against this Florida State team. Um, yes, Florida State has looked better since making a QB change. Not that much. Um, right. So I think there's a little bit of value if you can get plus money on Pitt. You're not going to get a lot. It's only plus 110 at the like best spot you can get it right now. So if you can find plus money on them, I think there's value on Pitt. Cool. I like it. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll be back with you again next week. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at StayFunLaco. And Matt, of course, is Wispy the Kid. Matt, do you have any parting words for our for our good listeners here? Bye, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Ooh, I didn't see that coming. All right, guys, thanks again. Uh, we'll be in your ears next week. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters, the more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.